care isn't only the physical meals and and day-to-day tasks. Care also extends to protecting the emotions of the patient, not just their daily needs. It's deep care. Welcome to the Living to Thrive with Cancer podcast, a podcast about the big and little issues that come with living with cancer. I'm Catherine White, a stage four colon cancer thriver, passionate about supporting others who have faced a cancer diagnosis and are looking to feel empowered in taking back control of their health and happiness. My own health scare helped me to learn more about myself and how to live with cancer, and it led me to become a cancer support coach so I can help others through the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and all the crazy things that come with life with cancer. So let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 3.8 of the Living to Thrive with Cancer podcast. This is a really special episode for me. In the previous version of this podcast, um, the Living to Thrive podcast, I interviewed my first ever guest, who I'm excited to share was my husband, John. I could not possibly reinvent the authenticity of the conversation we had at the time that we recorded this originally, so I instead have chosen to share the original episode with you. We actually recorded it for National Caregivers Day, which you will hear in the episode. And I just want to share that like, as a couple, we have evolved even more in our love and respect for each other and in the way that we have moved closer together since I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And it's been difficult, as you can um, perhaps understand, being the person with the disease. And as much as I've been by John's side and witnessed what he's gone through, I cannot understand completely what it has looked like and felt like for him as my caregiver. So in today's episode, I'm talking with my husband, the love of my life, about his perspective as my caregiver. We will take a look at managing day-to-day life from the caregiver's perspective, what it looks and feels like for the caregiver, and self-care in the midst of providing care. If you are a new listener, I want to welcome you to the podcast. You have landed here for a reason that you may not be aware of yet, but I am confident that you will figure it out. If you find what you learned here today to be helpful, please share it with other people you know that could benefit from this episode. Sharing helps me to support more people living with cancer and help them move from survivor to thriver. And if you want to go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram, I would love to have you as part of that community. You can find me at Catherine White Wellness. Give me a follow and then take a screenshot of that follow and send it to me in a DM and I'll send you a special little gift. All right, we have lots to cover in this very personal and intimate interview, so let's get started. So John is here with me today, and just to let you know a little bit about him, we have been married for almost 25 years. We have two adult sons. John is a pilot in his professional life, and he enjoys running, hiking, and camping. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So let's just jump right into why you're here today. February 19th is National Caregivers Day, and I thought the best way to bring to the attention of my listeners the incredibly important role of the caregiver was to interview one. As many of my listeners know, I'm a survivor of stage four colon cancer. 
But in the past, I've talked about my experience with colon cancer and what people may not realize is the impact that a cancer diagnosis has on the family on so many levels. Specifically, in our case, as I'm sure with many others, the spouse or the partner is thrust into this role of caregiver, whether they're prepared to do that or not. So I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that looked like and maybe what that felt like for you being put into this role really without any heads up because it was just an immediate, I have cancer, now what do we do? Yes, it was uh, definitely terrifying to to hear the news, to hold you, to try to uh, digest what, what we were facing. And uh, there's no rule book for how to do this. There's no guidance on how how these things are supposed to unfold. When we got married, the vows said in sickness and in health, and that's what we had to do. I, I didn't want to lose you. I love you, and, and our boys need you. We need you. So I had a job. You had one job, and that is to get better. And my job was to make sure that I could help you get better. So perhaps you could just address the emotional piece of that for the caregiver. What does that look like? watching your partner, watching me go through the surgeries and the chemotherapy and the physical and emotional trauma that that brought into my life and subsequently into our life. The surgeries and the chemotherapy we knew was part of getting your health back. We knew that that's the plan that that you chose, that we chose. And it was very difficult for me to um, watch you go through the physical suffering let alone the emotional of the surgeries. The recovery, there was um, pain. Chemotherapy was physically draining for you. So it was very difficult watching you go through so much suffering, physical suffering, but knowing that it was for the good. It was a difficult thing to watch, but I knew it was for the good. It's not like on TV. You you don't have anything to prepare you for this. When, when someone's that close to you, you're almost feeling their pain too because we're so close so in saying that the the watching what was going on as i was in my recovery mode what did your day-to-day life look like like what what could other people who are being thrust into this role of caregiver potentially see their life look like on a day-to-day basis well i think what worked well for us was routine i'm a checklist guy so I would have a list and I would, uh, all the things I needed to do that day, obviously you were always on the top of the list and in the middle of the list and at the bottom of the list, it always came back to me caring for you and your needs. But if I could accomplish things throughout the course of the day, menial tasks or, or important things, and I could strike them off the list, it made me feel that I was accomplishing something. Quite literally, I was powerless, so I tried to find things that I could do. Your job was to to get better. My job was to pick up the slack and do everything else. So I used lists. So using those lists helped you to keep yourself on track, but were there other outlets or methods that you used to manage your own health and wellness during that time? I was able to um, have some time for myself. I I did go for motorcycle rides, never very far. I was uh, running uh, at that time too. So getting out just around the block was good to clear the mind, never going too far, but uh, also going to work. Going to work was a good outlet for me. 
when I knew you were taken care of, when I knew you were on your good weeks between chemotherapy. I wouldn't go, obviously, if you weren't. But it gave me an outlet and gave me some normal and, well, being a pilot, uh, literally at control. And so it gave me a sense of normal and control that I think I lacked in my soul during your recovery because I couldn't control you getting better. I could only help. So I was lucky. Um, not everybody has that kind of job, but uh, I was able to literally live a normal life when I was away at work. Of course, my mind was always on you. My job allowed me to escape, escape from what we were going through and allow me to clear my mind and come back recharged. You gave me permission to do that. I needed to do that, but uh, that, that was, that's how I got my recharging. And what about time with friends or support outside of the house? Like I know our boys were very supportive and when you went away to work, they did a great job of helping around the house and making sure that I was okay and checking in with me throughout the day when they were at school. When I was gone, I, I, uh, the boys were teenagers. They weren't little kids. So you're in charge of getting your brother here or there because you have a driver's license or don't fight. Mom doesn't need the stress. Nobody needs the stress or tasks I need you to do just to make the house work. They weren't difficult. It's just the boys were on side. When I was away, they knew that they were on. And so we're very lucky that they were able to do that. When I was away, we did have a couple of friends who checked in on the boys. Their sons were friends with our sons and there was a little bit of a community looking out for our boys when I was gone. And I knew that and that gave me a sense of, of um, reassurance that uh, even though I couldn't be there, they were being checked up on and that gave me reassurance as well. When I was home, I have one particular friend whose wife went through a cancer diagnosis as well. I think of my people, I think he was the only one that really understood what I was going through. And, and I understood what he was going through. That was helpful for me because um, nobody tells you how, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to feel. And uh, when a burly man is giving you a big bear hug and, and talking about his experience too, I knew that my feelings were normal. So other than the boys and that particular friend, what about other support outside of the house? In hindsight, I'd have to say I didn't have any. Not because it wasn't available, it's because I didn't ask for it. When we went through this, we thought we could do it alone. We thought we got this, we will just pull tighter together. We can, we can do anything together. And so we, I think, became insular. We went inwards. We didn't push people away, but I know now we gave people the impression that John and Catherine, they're so amazing. They, they got this. They got a handle on this. When, when we were just keeping a lid on it, we put on a brave face and we were, you know, look calm on top of the water, but like a paddling like heck underneath. So I think if there was support outside of that friend, I didn't ask for it. I, I, I should have, I think, but I don't even know what I would have asked for. I know it's easy to look back and say what we should have done. And that's part of this is to help other people know that you don't have to do it all by yourself, but you also need to be true to who you are as a person. And, and we were just doing the best that we could with what we had, feeling like we could manage it. And, um, and I'm grateful for that. But what about what everyday life looked like? like from getting up in the morning until going to bed at night. And, and then those days that weren't normal days where there were appointments or lead up to appointments involved. Literally, it was like having a toddler again. 
where the toddler can't take care of themselves or you need to make sure that they are taken care of meals, clothing, getting them downstairs, everything, plus all the normal things that have to happen in a life, let alone throw in medical appointments and nurses coming to the house to, to change your dressing or give a needle. It is all encompassing the caregiver caring for the loved one. It is, it's your entire world. Plus the world is still going all around you. So outside of the physical day to day, what else is going on for the caregiver? Well, the obvious thing is in the back of your mind, the, the unthinkable. My job was to help you get better. That, that's the role I took on. I had to take that on. We had a choice. Either, either we do or do not. And my choice was to help you get better. But in the back of the mind, you can't not think about what if this doesn't go well? What am I going to do? Because I wanted to be selfless and care for you. But my soul was hurting too. And, and I didn't want, I was had to face the prospect that I might lose you. And that was terrifying. And I didn't want you to see the fear on my face. I didn't want to make you sad. I didn't want to make you feel any worse than you already felt. It wasn't your fault. And I didn't want to burden you with my feelings. That's a tremendous amount of emotion and pain for the caregiver to carry inside of them. So what did it look like for you when people would ask how I was doing or when people would want to talk to you about what was going on in our life? Well, you're kind of reliving the same thing over and over again. So I had a canned response for most people. Oh, well, she's tired. She's done this. We're, we're doing that. It's because I couldn't, I couldn't handle saying the same story over and over again about how this went. Oh, how hard this must be. Oh, how, how well we seem to be doing. How good you look to everybody asking the same question. People just wanted to know. And the only way that they could know was to ask. But what about when they started to ask questions that made you uncomfortable? Well, people that ask how you're doing and how we're doing, they, they have a genuine concern. And it's difficult as the caregiver. I found it difficult to tell the same stories over and over again and relive it each time what we were going through. Um, inevitably, there was always somebody who wants to share with you their stories of somebody they know who's going through cancer and know oh, it didn't work out so well or the chemotherapy that, that's not working. Somebody always knows somebody who's been touched by cancer. I just didn't need to hear the stories of how it didn't end up well for them. They didn't realize that telling me that was so painful because I was living that with you and I didn't want to hear stories that weren't successful. I don't know why they think I needed to hear that. I didn't want to hear it. So how did you manage that? Well, we had a uh, chalkboard at the front of the house, at the front door, and uh, I wrote a note on it one day. I said, uh, check your negativity here, positive only. That was one thing. It wasn't a joke. It, we treated it lightly, but no, I was serious. I, we don't need negativity coming in the house. It, it was hard enough. So just to be clear, we both knew exactly what we were going through and what the possible outcome was. And we're very fortunate that I am here and we're able to have this conversation. But it was just fielding those questions from other people who meant with kindness to be checking in and concerned just that that was a difficult piece to try to manage your own feelings buffer me from those questions and not come across as being rude because i do think people genuinely care 
it's just a really uncomfortable situation and maybe people don't know how to ask questions or they just want to feel like they're contributing in some way. I ran a lot of interference when you were talking to people. And when I thought that their conversation was going to go down the road of a cancer story that didn't end well for somebody they knew, I would uh, I would intervene. I would politely change the topic or I would, uh, on one, one or two occasions, I had to stop them. I had to say, you know what, I'm sure that that was very difficult for you, but but we are going through this right now. And, and honestly, I, uh, we need positive stories only, please. I said that. So I think what we're seeing here is that the role of the caregiver is a very multi-layered process. It is managing the care of the patient. Um, it's managing the emotions of the patient. It's managing if there are children or other family members involved. Then it's also managing the household and the appointments and all of the pieces that come with that. And then it's also managing how the interactions with other people go so that it maintains sort of a level of normal in life and also buffering and protecting the patient from questions that might be uncomfortable. But at the base of all of it, is the caregiver also having to protect themselves and take care of themselves in the whole process. It, care isn't only the physical meals and day-to-day and -day tasks. Care also extends to protecting the emotions of the patient, not just their daily needs. It's deep care. To bring it all around to why I wanted to do this podcast episode, the purpose was to bring awareness to the role of the caregiver and the responsibility that they have physically and emotionally to care for someone else who has a critical illness. To help people understand that it isn't just the person with the illness who is living the experience, it's also the person who is looking after the person who is sick. And that for the caregiver, this is very taxing physically and emotionally. So if you could give a little bit of advice, perhaps, to someone who's been put into the role of a caregiver, what might you say to them, John? I've heard of caregivers being referred to as the unsung hero. And, and I think that that's accurate. The focus is always on the patient, and, and it should be. But uh, the caregiver needs to be taken care of too. I think the recommendations that I would make for myself is uh, it's important to find a way to recharge your batteries as the caregiver. Uh, accept help if you're able to and ask for help in areas where you need it. Uh, be compassionate towards yourself. There's no right or wrong way to do this. Uh, there's no rule book as I've mentioned. And I think the last thing is for those listening, I think it's important to remember that it's a hard job. It's very hard. So don't forget to ask the caregiver how they are doing and what can be done to take some of the burden off their shoulders. They might not know they need help, but they do. I think that's excellent advice. I know this was really hard for you to come and share your part of our story. And I appreciate the emotional energy that this has taken for you to share just as we're wrapping things up, um, I think that your advice is a great way to sort of leave everything, that it's a good reminder that the caregiver is a critical piece in the whole process and that they have emotions attached to this also and they have needs attached to this also. 
Each of my episodes has a quote attached to it. And the quote that I picked for this particular episode is by Lao Tzu. And he said, being deeply loved by someone gives you strength, while loving someone deeply gives you courage. And I would like to take that and change it a little bit and say that being deeply cared for by someone gives you strength, while caring for someone deeply gives you courage. I do want to ask you one more question, and it might seem, it might be very appropriate, actually. The question is, what does living to thrive mean to you? That's a very good question. That phrase, living to thrive, is familiar to me through you and, and what you're doing what you're doing here today. But I think what it means to me is, is how we, how you and we as a family have chosen deliberately to not just survive, which is a gift, but to make the most of everything. Thriving is full, uh, healthy, um, vibrant, and, and nurtured. To me, living to thrive is you nurturing me, you being my caregiver. Well, I think that we are very blessed to have each other and to be able to walk through this life together and to thrive together. I want to thank you very much for doing this. I know this was difficult for you. You mentioned that you haven't um, done a whole lot of talking about this. We have as a couple, but this is a very public conversation. And I hope that it has been of some value to people who are perhaps in the same situation. So thank you very much for being here and for doing this today. I love you. I love you. Just as we end things here today, I want to thank each and every one of you for being present for this very personal conversation with my husband, John. And I hope that you have learned a few things. The topic of cancer is a very difficult conversation to have. And it is a choice that I have made to share my story. And I am truly grateful to my husband for participating in this today. I love this interview with John so much. And as I listen back to it, I haven't listened to it in a while. And listening back to it really has um, brought me to a place of deep reflection and, and really being moved by his words and his honesty. And I think that that's an integral part of the relationship between the patient and the caregiver is authenticity and honesty with each other. And as John said that, you know, that's not always easy to do because of the protective nature that, that the caregiver steps into, but also the protective nature that the person living with the diagnosis steps into of not wanting to burden any more than already feeling that they are. And, um, you know, this, this whole conversation with John is really just the tip of the iceberg of the smaller, well, they're not small, small pieces of the big picture of, of having cancer, having a family with cancer, being the caregiver to the person with cancer. It's a very deep and complicated conversation because as he said, there's no rule book involved in this. There is no guide to how you support somebody who has a cancer diagnosis and everybody's just doing their best. So if you are listening to this as a, um, a family member from outside of the nuclear family, um, if you're a friend, a relative, 
you know, I, I just invite you to think back to some of the things that John said about conversations that people have, how cancer is portrayed in movies, just the different ways that um, people externally respond with with love. I want to say that it is with love and with good intention, but that when you are the user, when you are the person living in the midst of this, it really is hard to hear words and to see actions. It's hard to ask for help. It's hard to know what to ask for. And really, in a very um, strange way, I don't even know if that's the right word, like, it's not just the person who's living with the cancer diagnosis who's who's trying to survive. The whole family goes into survival mode. And that in itself, I think, is an episode of like how the family exists in this survival mode and how you have to normalize what is happening in the household to everybody Um you know, and our sons have shared with us now as young adults the impact that this had on them. And John was talking about leaving the boys with responsibilities that we felt that they could handle. And we reflect and wonder, you know, did we give them too much? But but we didn't know what else to do to keep things moving forward. And so we continue to have these conversations all of these years later about what it looked like, not regularly, but it comes up. And every time we have the conversation, we learn a little bit more about my perspective, about John's perspective, and even about our sons, their perspective. So I guess what I'm offering here is that it's complicated. It's hard It's a very intimate experience that is difficult to verbalize. And I think what I'm most grateful for in all of this is that my husband and my sons were able to harness their own love and energy to support me while I tried to move through the healing process, to move from surviving to thriving. And I think that you know, my family has embraced that thriver mentality and we are able to move forward. Um, we are stronger and and a more whole and in tune with each other family that perhaps we would have been without this experience. It's, um, it's just a really beautiful piece to reflect on and I don't know that we could have done that reflection in the midst of it, but after the fact, where we are now, there's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of healing to be done, a lot of conversations to be had, but it's good work, and I am grateful that our family is able to have these conversations. If you are feeling the weight of stress sitting on your shoulders or wearing down your energy, I have created a guide that will help you with stress reduction. Managing stress in everyday life is a whole health approach to stress relief and it's designed to give you tools to manage your stress from a whole person perspective. It includes information on the key nutrients in food that can help with stress reduction, several easy to implement tools for stress relief, and more. You can get your copy today in the show notes. 
And just before we close, I want to share with you that on Thursday, February the 8th at 12 p.m. Eastern, I'm hosting my three strategies to transform your life with chronic illness masterclass. This is for women who are living with cancer or chronic illness who are looking to reclaim their life and transform their health. We're going to spend an hour looking at the foundational tools and strategies that will help you to get started right away. I'll be talking about the three strategies that I have personally used in my life with cancer. You don't have to allow a diagnosis to control your life. There are things that you can do that you can start doing right now to support yourself and I'm excited to share them with you in this workshop. So mark Thursday, February the 8th at 12 p.m. Eastern on your calendar and head to the show notes to grab the link or you can find the link in my Instagram bio at Catherine White Wellness or on my website www.catherinewhite.coach. I would love to see you there and I do want to share also that this masterclass won't be offered again until July so be sure to save your seat today. And friends, if you have enjoyed this or other episodes, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review wherever you are listening. This helps me to reach more people like you who are looking for support and guidance and a different way to live with cancer. Hit subscribe, make sure you follow the podcast so you can gather the tools and strategies that you can bring into your thriving life. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope you have a beautiful rest of the day. And may you live your life to your fullest, follow your heart, and thrive in all you do.